welcome back, listeners. This is your co-host, Ridge. We're back on Just Goes to Show podcast. Chris, uh, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you, Jack. It's good to be back. I know we say that every time. This time has been a pretty big hiatus, so it feels warranted uh, to, to say welcome back and good to be back. But I am happy to be here uh, to be talking some Prem and, and getting back into the swing of things a little bit here. We've had a lot of really good footy going on. And, um, yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to dive into it. Yeah, I don't think this has anything to do with any sort of New Year's resolutions that we're making. You know, it's like the 4th of January and we're recording a podcast and we haven't done that in, what do you think it was, maybe eight months? I I looked, last time was March. So we didn't do a great job in 2022 of uh, being consistent. But I'm not really a big New Year's resolution guy. So I'm definitely not chalking it up to that. This is just more of a... I think we're really excited about where the Prem's at and just time to get back on the horse more than anything. Get back on the horse. So I guess, yeah, fill fill in uh, all the listeners. Uh, Chris, what have you been doing for the last, well, I'm doing the math now. That's, what, nine months um, with Prem consumption. Um, How do you feel about the season so far? How have you been watching? Um, Any thoughts so far on the Prem? Yeah, it's been weird. I mean, obviously having the World Cup um, come when it did, there was... It was odd. It was a little bit awkward in terms of the flow of the season. Um, but I think so far, the season's really exceeded expectations. Um, I think it's more competitive than I would have expected. There's some surprise teams. Uh, there were some really, really big signings over the summer, some that are flourishing, some that are struggling, and um, you know, some new managers coming in. We've got some, some big-time names on the hot seat right now. So I think overall, I'm just trying to consume – um, kind of everything together. I've always been watching a lot of games too. Uh, you know, our teams uh, are doing okay at this point, but it's it's very competitive at the top and at the bottom right now. Uh, probably more competitive than it ever has been since we've been recording. And so, looking at it that way, uh, it's been very exciting. And I think we're you know we're at about the halfway point of the season right now, so it's a really good time to kind of check in, evaluate where things stand, where we think they might be going over the next. Uh, four months here, four or five months as the season wraps up, but a lot left to go. Um, but I think this is uh, a really good point to to take a step back and kind of look at where things have gone so far this season. And um, I don't know. I mean, from my perspective, it's been very, very entertaining. Uh, I hate fantasy Premier League at this point because the results aren't going my way. I've completely stopped gambling on the Premier League over the past month or so because those results really weren't going my way. Um, but outside of that, it's it's been great just being an observer. Got it. So yeah, your your observation content, so just watching, uh, kind of keeping track of the league has been exceeding your expectations, competing in different ways around the league. So fantasy, bet gambling, et cetera, haven't been as fruitful, it sounds like. Yeah, you know, um, but you live and you learn. Um, maybe I just don't need to make all the predictions. And uh, the prep is unpredictable. It really is. When it comes to gambling especially, it's so hard. Um, any team can beat any other team. And you just don't know which which team is going to show up on that given day. Um, you know, like example recently, but we just watched uh, Villa get a huge win against Spurs over the weekend, and then everyone's calling for Conte's head, talking about how bad Spurs is, and they beat Palace 4-0 today. So, you know, you never really know what team's mm-hmm. going to show up, uh, which makes it so hard to, <laughs> to, to put money on it and expect a, a good return. But it does make it fun to do that as well. Um, what are your thoughts so far, or do you have anything to add? Yeah, I think I, I agree. I think the season so far has been tremendous. I think it's been really, uh, obviously, the, the main story kind of coming out of the Premier League in the first half up until Christmas. It's obviously not a technical halfway point, but we'll call it that with the World Cup. And I think uh, the main story when it comes to the Premier League and zooming back in is obviously Arsenal, right, and how excellent they've been under Mikel Arteta for the first half of the season and um, I think officially they just became the the betting favorites to go on and win the league given the point gap right now at the top of the table um, everyone's kind of just kept saying Chelsea or um, City 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 with Pep they'll figure it out they'll figure it out and City kind of have casually been dropping points especially at home which has been a little bit strange um, and uh, I think Arsenal an unexpected and very heavy title contender at this point in the season is a major storyline um, 
At the bottom part of the table, though, um, it, well, and I guess staying at the top before I pivot to the bottom, at the top, Liverpool being as bad as they've been is a big story as well, I think. Um, you know, the sale of Mane in the summer really, really uh, and has had a trickle impact throughout the team. They don't, they look like a shell of the team that they were in the sort of the past years under Klopp. Um, and then if you look at the bottom of the table, you know, the, the sort of narrative is, and I was thinking about this, you know, watching Brentford beat Liverpool the other day, is these really fundamentally sound and scientifically structured clubs. You know, Brentford being, being an example, uh, I, I can sort of throw Fulham into that mix as well. Um, and, uh, and smaller teams um, are finding their foothold in the Premier League. Um, and we're seeing some of these larger franchises, Everton, Southampton, these sort of historically really strong teams, um, you, you know, I think they've gotten a little complacent at the top um, with the amount of money the Premier League's bringing in. And you're starting to see, you know, those teams really, really get caught up. Um, and I think we'll continue to see that over the next few years. Um, some of these, you know, historically larger teams, unless they make kind of radical infrastructural changes. And so just I think at the bottom of the table, you're seeing very competitive football. You're seeing a lot of big, you know, big names at the bottom of the table. Um, Wolves, South, uh, Southampton, Everton, right? Um, Fulham's in the top West half. Ham. Brentford's in the top half. Um, yeah, West Ham down there as well. Another one, thank you. Um, and I think that's a big storyline that I'm observing so far this season is there's a lot of, and I, I would definitely categorize West Ham in that kind of like old school Everton, both very similar, right? Um, they, I, I believe they both don't have or certainly not to the degree that like, uh, you know, Brentford does or um, it is sort of a newer and scientific uh, and database recruitment model and technical director. I think a lot of what they're still doing is sort of, sort of like 90s football of like eyeball tests and like, you know, signing players based off of feel and who the manager wants. Um, and I think you're just seeing more systematically efficient clubs starting to rise to the top of the English football pyramid. Um, and so that, I think, has been at the storyline at the bottom half of the Premier League, which I'm very interested in. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, before we play all of our cards, we'll dig deeper into some of those teams and where they're at. But um, it definitely feels like a like a transitional period, in a way, for the Premier League, where um, some of these some of these smaller clubs or, or newly promoted clubs are having a lot of momentum. And But it, it, it's not just momentum. It looks like they might have some stability as well. Brentford's a really good example where they can kind of find a footing in the league more long-term. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with having uh, Thomas Frank and some, you know, it just feels like they're in a spot where they, they know what they are and they're happy to play their style of football. And there are some other teams where, yeah, you're right, it's still, oh, we're going to splash on this name or this name and hope it fits into what we want to do uh, after the fact. And it doesn't always work out that way. But I think we should, I think we should talk about Arsenal and, and dig in deeper because I agree they have been, the, the biggest story probably so far this season, if not one of two or three. Um, and I have to admit, you know, I, I've been a Arteta doubter on this pod for the last few years. Um, I've, I've got to eat my hat now. But they, they've been great. And I'm curious what you think might be the difference this year as opposed to last year. I mean, you remember coming on the stretch last year, they had... It looked like uh, a lot of momentum as well then, and they lost two of their last three Um fell out of the top four Spurs past them, which makes it even hurt more than it would have if you're an Arsenal supporter. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I don't know if the fact that they're not in the Champions League might be a little bit of a benefit for them right now, being in the Premier League, but what do you think, what do you point to, I guess, is the difference now as to where they were the last year or two under Arteta? I think, uh, so I think there's two differences. I think the business they did in the summer um, you know, with Edu at the helm, um, signing uh, players that Arteta has a relationship with, and Zinchenko and Gabriel Jesus were really wise moves. Um, High-performing players kind of on the fringe at Manchester City. I think that was really good business for them. Um, and then uh, I think, you know, Saliba coming back into the team um, from Lome and being, and then going to the World Cup as a French center back, like, he's been fantastic at the heart of that defense. And you know, it uh, looks like he's going to be the Arsenal center back and, you know, future captain potentially for the next 10 years, right? So I think th those are sort of the 
core signings. You're also seeing sort of the development with time of Martinelli, Odegaard, Saka. Um, that's a very young attacking core, which is very very well well documented, right? That was sort of the, the theme of last season. Then they sprinkled on some players that Arteta's familiar with, and I think Saliba, the addition of Saliba um, was sort of uh, the that's sort of the the lowest risk, highest highest return, right? Um, that they had out of all of those, because they still spent a good amount of money to go sign Jesus and Zinchenko. Uh, so I think there's a squad addition that they made was really smart. I think the second thing that's really taken them to the next level is honestly, I I think Arteta and Pep are really really similar, right? I th- I just think they really they are like Pep when he first came to England, it took him. Uh, you know, a few seasons, they would drop points occasionally, and it really took them a few seasons to become this fine-tuned, humming uh, machine that they that then they they looked like um, for the past probably four seasons. Um, it, it didn't happen overnight, and and there were some squad changes, and and you know, Pep was able to get rid of some players and bring in other players, and and sort of fine-tune it based off of the personality types that he worked best with, etc. And I think Arteta's just done the same thing. With a little bit of time, you can you can tell he's gotten rid of some of those players that he maybe doesn't think have the the absolute psycho competitive, relentless winning mentality. The Aubameyangs, the Lacazettes, those players who would have maybe every fifth night or fourth night, you know, they disappear on the pitch. He's kind of gotten rid of a lot of those players, um, and he's just backfilled them with youth and youth that he's on top of them uh, in terms of ma- growing and maintaining that mindset. And, if, and, and and I think the two advantages that Arteta has over Pep are one, he's just younger, right? So um, he's hungry. You know, Arteta's probably putting in a little bit more hours every week than Pep is, right? I know Pep is, uh, you know, kind of a psycho about winning and an expert on the game, but Arteta is very hungry to prove himself. And you bet he's He's working, you know, extra hours every single, you know, every single day, knowing what what he's got in front of him this season. So I think one, he's younger, and I think that helps. He's got a little bit more fuel to burn. And then two, I think that, he, I mean, he played in the Premier League, unlike Pep. And so I think there's maybe a slight bit of uh, relatability that he has with these players. Like I think about Zinchenko and Jesus, as Arteta's kind of demanding all of these things, he can then kind of fall back on, I've gone to, you know, I've played Arsenal away, um, or I've played, you know, he managed Arsenal, but I played Manchester City at home, or, you know, he's kind of done all these big matchups. He's played Manchester United, all these things as a player. Um, whereas Pep doesn't have necessarily that playing um, experience in the Prem. So, yeah, I think this to, to kind of condense all that, I think the squad edition, the, the business that they've done, the squad editions have been brilliant. And then I think to um, Arteta's journey, being very similar to Pep's, um, is finally kind of taken shape, and it just needed time to do that. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with everything you said there. I think, I think, I mean, the additions I think have been good, but we've seen that even without Jesus, they're still pretty effective. Um, I, I think Enkedia is definitely a step down there, but they don't necessarily need Jesus in that lineup uh, to to get results. I think, I mean, obviously, it's a it's one of the youngest squads in the league. Um, and so having these guys uh, with a little bit more experience under their belt, they've played together a little bit more now, that's going to help. Um, but Arteta just gets the most out of these players more than probably any other manager, I think, at this point, where you look at an Odegaard who comes in um, a pretty high-profile young player. He's, I would assume he's the youngest captain in the Premier League right now. Um, he's been absolutely fantastic this season, uh, very consistent, a lot of attacking returns, like really a stalwart for that team. And you look at guys like Saka and Martinelli, who are both young, who are probably at this point the best like winger duo in the league, which is kind of crazy to say. I wouldn't have said that like a year ago. That would have been a wild statement, but they probably are. And I think Arsenal have a little bit of depth, but relative to... Manchester City, uh, United, Chelsea, their squad is probably a little bit thinner, and I think that's benefited them because they haven't really come up with a, they haven't come across a lot of injuries so far this season, so they've kept the same eleven for a lot of this season, and I think that builds a lot of confidence for someone who like Saka who's really young to know that he's going to be keeping his, his place in this team regardless of what happens in the pitch that day. Same with Martinelli. They've earned it, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not like um, right. it's not like they just handed it. They've, they've, they've proven that. But I think that they know um, that they're going to be in the squad. I think it gives them a lot of confidence to play a little bit more freely. 
And those three, I mean, Odegaard, Saka, Martinelli, is, uh, that's just dangerous. And then you look at a guy like Granit Xhaka, who's having a bit of a resurgence, who everyone had written off completely, um, had all these disciplinary issues. He's still got a little bit of that fire in him that makes you nervous every now and then. But he's been really, really good for them as well. Um, and then he's just been adaptable, too. He, you know, you get Saliba back. You have him and Gabriel and Ben White, who was a really expensive signing last year. They're playing it right back, and it's working out fine for them. So I think he's done a really good job with man management and just getting the most out of the players that he has. And I don't think any of them necessarily feel threatened. They feel pushed, I think. Um, but I think you run into problems like like that with Man City sometimes where they have so many different options. You really don't know who you're going to be playing with that day. Um, it puts a lot of pressure on you to like for a Jack Grealish who gets a spot start or a Riyad Mahrez to go out and do something. Um, and there's there's a lot of pros to that, but I think over time, if you don't have the injuries like Arsenal haven't, then it just builds a lot of continuity, chemistry between this squad. They look like they're having fun. They're playing attractive yeah. football. And um, it, it really shows with the results they've had. So I guess, I mean, do you think at this point, obviously you said that you think they've moved into the betting favorites. Right now they're eight points clear of Man City. City have a game in hand uh, tomorrow against Chelsea as we're recording. Um, I mean, what do you think their realistic odds are at the title? Would you would you consider them to be favorites? Would you still lean towards Man City at this point? Yeah, I think so. I, first of all, I love your man management call because I agree. I, and that's something that obviously I didn't highlight at all is the improvement of Odegaard, Xhaka, et cetera, under him. So, yeah, great call out there. I think um, – I do think they go and win the title now. I'm just going to say that now. January 4th, um, I think they go and win the title. And I think largely – partially because of what you just said, um, but they just don't have that Champions League crusade that um, – that still has to rear its ugly head, and and you know teams will have to rotate in you know in the Champions League knockout stages um, like like Man City has to right and uh, and so yeah I think they because they're not in the Champions League they're just going to be solely focused on the Premier League um, through the rest of the season I think they can go and win the league and I think to your point about the squad depth also not having you know a really intense European qualification like a lot of their I think they're in the Europa or like the Euro 2 or whichever you know whichever one the people don't really care about um and you know if you look at their lineup they're rolling like that Marquinhos winger out and they're giving a lot of their you know Reese Nelson starting and so they're given they're not really too concerned about that level of European competition that they have and and I think that's benefited them as well to your point about squad rotation and building continuity so I think they can go on and win. Yeah, I mean, I think it's good. You're right. I think it's their sole focus at this point where Man City, I, I would probably put it about 50-50 right now between those two, even with Arsenal's edge. I think I'd probably, if I was... Gun, uh, gun, gun your head. Yeah, th- gun your head. Gun to my head, I think I'd still go with Man City. Um, they just have the track record. And I, like I said, you know, the one thing with Arsenal right now is I do feel like you get two injuries maybe in that for that starting 11 and things change pretty quickly. Um, I hope that's not the case. I, they're very fun to watch. I'm kind of pulling from them at this point. I'd like to see some new blood at the top. I definitely, you know, I'd rather have see them win than in City win again at this point. But um, gun to my head, I'd, I'd probably lean City. But if City lose tomorrow against Chelsea, who have been struggling, uh, Arsenal are in a great spot. Arsenal has a really, really important uh, run of fixtures coming up. That's going to be very telling. So if you look at their schedule... They just played Newcastle, got a point. It was kind of ugly. Um, their next match, Spurs away, then United at home, and then um, three, you know, five matches from now they play Man City. So, I think over the next month we're really gonna get a good idea of where things stand. And if they get three wins, you know, get, you get, you come away with like ten points from those five matches, it'd be really hard to to say that they're not clear favorites at that point. But I think it'll be really telling. Um, kind of, kind of moving on a little bit and talking about Newcastle, I think they've probably been the other, uh, biggest story in terms of teams that have impressed Eddie Howe's done an unbelievable job. They've, they've lost one of 18 matches, which is just mind blowing, conceded the least amount of goals in the Premier League. Um, where do you think things stand there? Is that sustainable? Are they a top four threat or I don't think that, I don't think it's fair to say that they're going to push your challenge for a title, but top four seems like that should be the goal now at this point with where they're at in the season. Uh, yeah, I think they will. I think they'll finish in fourth, actually. Um, and 
I think that this Eddie Howe side uh, is, I don't know if they have enough goals in them long term um, to, 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 to win. Uh, like a lot of games very comfortably, but I do think defensively, you know, I think putting balls into the box against the aerial trio that is Dan Byrne, Fabian Scher, and, um, you know, the, whether it be Jamal Lascelles or Sven Botman, uh, that's, I mean, that that's a really strong core defense. And then in possession, obviously, they shift into that three at the back and Trippier bombs up the right, the right wing. Um, and Trippier's having a, a really impressive season, so I think they can. I think they'll probably finish fourth. Um, and I and it's interesting just because they're doing it in sort of a different way that Eddie Howe's team at Bournemouth was known about, known for, right? Of uh, Ryan Frazier, Cal Wilson, really attacking football. They're definitely scoring a good amount of goals. It's not like they're they're not scoring, but you know they've been a really solid defense. Um, and I think having Nick Pope, you know, you're seeing Nick Pope on a good team. Um, as opposed to where he's been for the last few seasons at Burnley, and you're really seeing how world class he is. I think he's even if that defense gets broke gets gets broken down, like he is, uh, he I, I mean he's got to be like a top three keeper in England. I was just gonna say, yeah, I think there's an argument to be made that he's the best in the Premier League right now. It's probably him, Ederson, Allison, maybe, but he's definitely up there. I think the biggest thing with Newcastle to really show how strong this team has been is against the big six clubs, right? They've, they've won three, drawn two. Their only loss was Liverpool, 2-1. So they've right. already played all six of those teams, and they've come away with um, you know 11 points from those six matches. So they're proving against the big clubs, too. Their, their draw against Arsenal the other day was very gritty. Arsenal came out the gates flying, and uh, Newcastle got the game under control. And I think a nil-nil draw was, they were probably really happy with that result there. So I do think it's sustainable. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens with them in the summer or even in January here. I don't think they necessarily need a ton of investment this month, but you'd have to imagine that they're going to back Eddie Howe with their new uh, their new money that came in. So it'd be interesting to see if they bring in anybody that's going to really make an impact. And the other thing that's kind of crazy is, probably their biggest signing over the summer, uh, Alexander Isak, he, he's been hurt for months. So um, Callum Wilson's been doing a lot of the, the groundwork and uh, the legwork. And Almiron really has been um, such a prolific goal scorer for them that kind of came out of nowhere this season. Um, they've, they've had really good signings that already have, you know, Trippier, Bruno Gomerich, like these guys are playing at a very, very high level. And it does feel like they can keep it going. I think top four is a good goal. I think it's realistic. Um, I'm not ready to pencil them in yet, but they definitely seem up to the task. So I, I would say that you know at this point Eddie Eddie Howe is probably manager of the season in my eyes. Um, yeah. I've always rated him, but I'm really really impressed with what he's done as quickly as he's done it because this time last year Newcastle were bottom of the table probably, if not in the the bottom three definitely. I think they won like one of their first 18 games last year, so it's completely flipped only a year later. And they've, they've definitely brought in players, but it's not like they've revamped this entire squad. He's really done a good job of using what they had already, too, and, and getting the most out of it. So um, those are those are two highlights at this point. It'll be interesting to see if they can sustain it for an entire season, but um, they're both looking like they can right now. Um, what Who else has impressed you so far as far as teams, players, anything uh, at this point in the season. Yeah, I think I think honorable mention for um for Fulham. They're chilling in seventh right now. Um just playing really good football. Um you know, Mitrovic has been a really good goal scorer for them and uh, I think Tim Ream's been really classy at center center back. Um Burnley's having a little renaissance there, so credit. They've got kind of got a funny like shoestrings like Williams on that team. Dan James is running around. Andreas Pereira has been interesting players. Incredible great signing yeah um but it seems to work for him so you know they're they're in seventh uh brighton got off to a really good start but um uh, and and now that deserby has had a little bit of time you know they could chill top half and, and brentford have been top half as well so brighton and brentford sort of in that mold that i was talking about earlier of really kind of technically sound football clubs um both in the top half of the table and i also think eric ten Hag deserves a lot of credit um you know he, he hasn't had a ton of time at this united team and he's got them in fourth and i do think that that that's the difference um, you know, Newcastle's drawn eight games this season. Uh, they've won nine, drawn eight, lost one. So they're difficult to beat, but they're drawing a lot of games. And I do think that's the difference. I actually think United will end up finishing third, um, Arsenal first, City second, United third. 
Um, and I think if Ten Hag finishes third in his first season, he'll earn a lot of plaudits. And, and I've been really impressed with his work. I was I sent you that that message the other day about you know he navigated the Ronaldo scandal really well, scandal interview, whatever you want to call it. Um, got rid of him. Um, you know he's brought in some some talent. Uh, you know that that has really worked. You know players that he knew formerly, Alessandro Martinez, Anthony. They've jumped into the, and and not even needed to be like in the in the in the bright lights and kind of in the center stage. But they've just been really good squad additions for that team. Yeah, so, um, that's where I'd push back a little bit. I, I do think Ten Hag's been really really good so far. I don't really have a lot of criticism for him. Um, I think Casemiro has definitely been their their most important signing, but. You look at Anthony, you look at Lissandra Martinez, um, a lot of money for guys that I just haven't totally seen it from. Anthony specifically, he, I'm not sure how many different things he can do on the pitch watching him. Like, he's obviously got a lot of talent. He's young. They spent a ton of money on him. And I feel like I watch their, their games and I just see the same thing out of him. They play it down the wing. He can't use his right foot at all. He might as well not have it. So he just cuts everything back inside. It's like clockwork. He's going to keep doing that. And I mean, like he gets a lot of shit for the the spinning ruse and all that kind of crap he does, which is really like a little bit showboaty and probably not that effective. But it's not even that. I just like haven't really seen it from him yet. Um, so I, I think the jury's a little bit still out on some of the signings and the recruitment. It's early, so it's hard to, to say that that's a flop or anything like that. But I don't know. That would be the one thing that I'm I'm not totally sure of, but I've been very impressed with him. I, I love the way he handled the Rashford thing the other day. Rashford's been in great form, as good as we've probably ever seen yeah. him in the Premier League. So, love that. Um, and, you know, he shows up late to the pre-match meeting. He gets put on the bench. He comes on at the half, scores the winner. So, I love the way he handled that. His comments afterwards, I was really impressed with. I think he handled the, the Ronaldo thing well. He seems like a, an adult, which was what they needed. He's a disciplinarian in a, in a way, but he's just more of a, a figurehead that I think is up to the task for that big of a club. He doesn't really seem that intimidated, and he doesn't. you don't like see the pressure getting to him. He's going to do it his way, and I think he's probably gotten a little bit of backing saying, hey, we're going to give you time. We want to make this work, and it shows a little bit where he he's really – I think he's kind of blocking out a lot of the outside noise, which is really hard at a club that big. So I've definitely, yeah, definitely been impressed with them. I, yeah, I, I think I agreed on on the signings. Not saying they're world beaters. I, I do think there is a parallel universe where United, with all these sales rumors, you know, they're they're actively looking to sell the club. The rumors about Liverpool actively looking to sell the club, given such the current inflated and all the money some of these clubs are going for, right? Like. Um, uh, you know, with Newcastle being bought by, you know, the Saudi foreign investment fund last year. But, like, there's a parallel universe where Manchester United, they definitely want, the Glaciers want to make a sale. They don't want to make a bunch of manager changes or, you know, pump a bunch of cash into the team. I know some of those signings were, were you know, expensive signings, Martinez, Anthony. But there's a parallel universe where they don't, they kind of say, have a manager, like, hey, we want to hold on to someone for a while and not make a bunch of changes. Um, and... It goes poorly, right? And uh, and they're they're not top four um, like the Inter. So I think it's gone about as well as it could go, given the sort of what's going on in the background behind Ten Hag. Agreed. I, I'm very impressed with them. I, I didn't want to make it too big of a knock. I just think that the, the one there's a couple of things that I'm I'm not totally sold on, but I see all the the positives and the promise. I think there's a lot to be excited about with him if you're a United supporter. Um, I, I, one more positive that I wanted, or I guess kind of surprise, not super surprising, but just a, a huge highlight so far that I wanted to touch on before we get into some of the negatives and the disappointments is just Holland. Obviously, it, it's hard not to talk about him. It, it, the buzz around him has cooled a little bit just because I think uh, more than anything, it's just expected that he's going to keep scoring now. We've we've seen it from him, and so we've almost... It's only been 16 matches for City this season. We've almost gotten used to it. Um, but if you would have told me that Man City 16 matches played, they have Erling Holland with 21 goals, and they're eight points behind Arsenal, I would have said that that's crazy. So it's interesting with where they're at. I mean, he's probably going to set the single-season goal record, assuming he keeps even close to the pace he's on right now. Um, but it hasn't totally translated into results in the pitch for City. They've been good, but they haven't been as good as they or as dominant as they had been in years past. So, what are your thoughts overall on that? Yeah, I I don't know. I think um, wait, so, sorry, Chris, you cut out a little bit. Can can you 
just Can you repeat that last part. Yeah, just overall. I mean, what are your thoughts on I guess Holland in general, but also um, yeah. my biggest thing is just I would have thought if you would have told me the numbers that he's putting up right now, um, I would have expected City to be you know clear at the top of the table, and they they just haven't done yeah, that yeah, yet. Yeah. So how do you think that factors in, or where do you see it going? I think yeah yeah that's that's what I thought you said. I think Holland came out of the gates roaring. No one really knew what to expect. Um, and, and I think what took everyone by surprise a little bit is how direct the Manchester City team was in playing balls in behind to Holland, which they haven't really done, right, with the false nines and whoever's been playing up top in years past, right? Um, and so they were able to do that right out of the gate, instantly score buckets more goals and quicker goals because they were able to be more direct and kind of put the ball in through to him. I think he's going to he's gonna score a lot this season. I think he'll probably finish... You know, I think he'll push for finish probably finish between thirty five and forty goals. Um, I think though, his goal tally has slowed down in recent weeks um, because I think a lot of these teams know that as soon as you know they've watched the film now of the first sort of ten to fifteen games the city have played, and they know that when De Bruyne or when anyone picks up the ball in, in midfield, instead of quickly playing the ball to the side or playing the ball to an attacking wing position, they're looking straight through on goal and how can we put in Holland behind. And so center backs are a little bit more wary of that. Does that mean they're going to be able to stop him every time? No, Holland's a freak. Um, but I, So I do think his, his goal tally will be really strong. Um, but it, it'll be interesting because I think he, they'll, you know, he'll score 35 to 40 goals and City won't, won't win the league is I think how it's going to pan out. Um, Would that- and that's going to sort of create a whole sp- crazy discussion over, you know, how how necessary or slash not necessary that is. It's, it's interesting. I I think, obviously, you, you can't you can't argue anything other than he's been a great signing, and I, it seems like he's going to have a really great long career for them if he stays there. Um, so if you're a City fan, you know, there's no negatives really around Erling Holland. It's just a little bit surprising that they've gotten the goal production out of him they have, and they're second on the table. I think part of that is Arsenal have just exceeded expectations but um I, I so kind of transitioning into some of the disappointments i think it's a natural time to talk about the other big striker signing over the summer who not really fair to him but he's always going to be a little bit compared to holland just because of the nature of the club he's at and the timing but darwin nunez who came in with for a huge fee for liverpool you, you mentioned earlier that they um, parted ways with Sadio Mane, who was such a key player for them for the past four or five years during this really great run they've had. And I don't know. I, I think it's a little bit early to say that he's a flop as well or a bust because he hasn't even had half of a season yet. But it's it's a, it's concerning, right? And I, don't, I think part of it is that Liverpool just aren't as good as they have been the last couple of years. It's an aging squad. But You've seen week after week, you've seen him miss big chances. He's getting set up for a lot of what you think were goals. You put Erling Holland in the same position as him. I think he's probably got the same amount of goals as he does at City, right? I think he would fit in that system really well. And it just hasn't been there yet. And so do you think it's too early to sound the alarm on that? Do you think he's got the quality it takes to be the the the, the guy, I guess, at a club as big as Liverpool and help them push on for titles? Or, or where where do you stand with him right now? Yeah, I, I think I think Darwin will be fine. I was listening the other day to someone talk about how Darwin is sort of taking to the league similarly as Luis Suarez did, right? Um, and I don't think there's sort of like this eternal curse over Darwin where he's always going to have high XG and not be able to score at the rate that he needs to score, right, or not convert them. I think, of course, there are some players that on average throughout their career tend to convert a little bit lower, but he's shockingly below his XG numbers, right? Um, that I think it's a bit of an anomaly. And and the same thing happened with Luis Suarez, right? Like he had high, he, he was creating a lot of chances, couldn't finish, had really high XG numbers when he first came to the league. Um, and, you know, he improved and, you know, uh, settled in. And, and, you know, he's still not speaking. He, Darwin still can't really speak. English out there, right? Um, I'm not saying that's going to have a huge impact on his goal tie, but just little things that are going to help him feel more comfortable and confident, I think, around goal. So I think he can be that guy for it, sure. It's um, early. He's just so rapid. He's so rapid. He is, he's so fast, and and he is very similar physically to Holland, yeah. a little bit shorter and a little bit quicker. Um, and, and, and so I think he'll be fine, but 
you know, Liverpool are seeing that that this is sort of the the downside of them playing the Mane, uh, Salah, Firmino over and over and over again for the last four seasons. They're sort of seeing the downside of that of of what they did now is because they didn't really they didn't weren't really able to actively embed any world class youth or talent into into that front three, and they're sort of suffering from that as opposed to I think Darwin's downfall of this you know Darwin's inefficiency this season. I think that makes sense. I will say that I think when they get Luis Diaz back, that will help. He's been very good when he's been healthy. Um, he's had an extended. Uh, time in the sidelines now. He's not that close to coming back from what I hear, but that was a big loss for them because he was kind of the obvious replacement for Mane and then Diogo Jota. So like two of their best attackers that you would think would be very much in the mix each week have been hurt. Um, and both those guys have been performing pretty well. My my only thing, I, I have a really hard time not thinking about this. I got got the idea in my head like a week ago watching Darwin and they're not similar players at all. But I'm almost if, if things continue like this for let's say another ten matches where we just keep talking about Darwin, he, he's always in good positions. He's got all the athleticism and the physicality to play in the Premier League. I think um, he just it's like Timo Werner a little bit. Where I'm like I'm watching Timo Werner with Chelsea. I think they were probably came in for a similar fee around like seventy million, and uh, there was all this expectation, and there was it was like a, a highlight reel of just misses for Timo Werner every week. And after a certain amount of time, when you're at a club that big, it just has to affect your confidence. And the difference is that Timo Werner, I think, had all the pace. He, he wasn't big enough to necessarily match up in the Premier League. You have to be so clinical if you're going to be that small. Um, and not really small, but just, you know, he's not a big, strong player like a, a Darwin or a Holland is. But after some time... At a club like that, there's just so much attention on you. You had such a big fee. And if you're like the laughing stock of, uh, you know, of Twitter or social media after all these matches and the club's underperforming, it has to get to your psyche a little bit. And so I'm, I'm a little bit concerned. It seems like he needs to push on a little bit sooner here uh, over the next, you know, 10 matches or so, really prove himself to just get his own confidence going and try to block out some of that because it, it's he has been all over social media every match and you just yeah, I, you have I just, to expect he's seeing some of that you be hard not to let some of that I just think you. for sure for sure you got to be resilient but I, I do think that like the narrative for who's a good you know who's an effective striker a good striker um and who's not kind of it's it changes so fast in this league right like you score a brace um and everyone's like oh yeah i guess they can do it right like christian menteke was an incredibly prolific goal scorer for aston villa went to liverpool was not that the back half of his career was 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 not that you know uh at crystal palace and that's the same player alexander mitrovic came up with fulham couldn't couldn't score. People were like he's too slow. He's too chubby. He can't do it in the Premier League this season. He's got what like eleven goals or something mm-hmm. like that. Twelve. He's on pace to to do like north of twenty five, right? For sure. Um, and the, these these are the same players. Uh, so, I, I mean, he, heck, I think it's a scary thought when Darwin figures it out. But I I do I just think it'll happen. I think there's too much. You see the potential statistical with it. evidence. Yeah, there's too much statistical evidence to think that the goals won't come uh, with time. So um, one really interesting um, talking point this season has been Graham Potter um, with the start that Brighton got off to going to Chelsea. Um, they made the change pretty early on to get rid of Thomas Tuchel, who I think it was more of him and the new ownership not being on the same page than anything um, for why he was ousted. And things have been tricky under Potter so far. Chelsea are in 10th. Um, they haven't been very consistent. They haven't been the team that I think a lot of people would have thought. I, I think Graham Potter is someone that it's going to take a little bit of time to implement his system. But where do you uh, rate Chelsea? And I mean, I think Potter's going to have a, a pretty long leash, you would think. Um, but if they're going to stick around mid-table for the rest of the season, things could get a little bit tough. There's going to be a lot of pressure on him. What are your uh, overall reactions to how his start at Chelsea has gone? Yeah, I think it's exactly what they signed up for, right? So um, I think the appointment of Graham Potter is an, is an investment in in long term a long term vision. 
um, that Todd Bowley has for, for the team. I mean, they're signing sports minds, you know, sports scientists, recruitment analysts um, from all over Europe um, and spending a lot of money infrastructurally to do that. So I think, to be frank, I, I don't think they're that concerned with the on-field product right now. Um, and, you know, Potter's doing exactly what he did at Brighton, right? That Brighton team wasn't you know, ripping and roaring. They're right around the relegation zone, right? And everyone said they played good football, they played good football, but, eh, you know, they weren't that good. Um, and you know, now he's sort of doing that. And then this season they started off brilliantly, finally, after a couple of years that he was there. So I think it's sort of a similar narrative here. I think the reason it being is because of just his, the, his tactical approach. He sort of plays with, doesn't really play with positions, just sort of areas on the field where he likes players to feel comfortable moving into, um, and you know that's very difficult, very different from you know both Frank Lampard who was there before Tuchel, and then Tuchel who played a pretty rigid you know um, uh, five of the back formation right with wing backs, um, sort of Conte like. So I think where it's very clear where you need to be and, and systematically it was the same system over and over and over again. And then he tried moving to a four and then ended up you know, losing his job. So I think with Potter, he's, he's, he needs to coach his players for this sort of free-flowing positional game, which is sort of what Brighton used to play, right? You just kind of saw those forwards at Brighton. Like you'll see, you would see Solly March, Trossard, Lalana, Welbeck. You'd see them in all different attacking positions all over. Right, um, and I think you know he's trying to do that now with the likes of Mason Mount, Sterling. He's got Aubameyang, weirdly, who's like in that team and doesn't have a place, like shouldn't be in that team. He hasn't really he been playing. Once, I mean, you have yeah, Kai Havertz, who I don't think is a pure striker. But but the thing is with with Brighton, they didn't have that either. You know, it was it was. You're right. It's like a little bit positionless positionless football. But um, you just would think with the talent that. Chelsea has, which I think is lesser than some of these other top clubs right now, um, that it would translate a little bit quicker than it would be with a with the squad he had at Brighton. Just because when you free these players up, you'd think that like a, a Raheem Sterling, a Mason Mount would kind of thrive in that. I think Reese James being banged up has really hurt them. I think he's probably their most important player. And with bright uh, with Brighton at um, when Potter was at Brighton with the fullbacks they had, those that was really or wingbacks more so, a very important position for them. You'd see Leandro Trussard dropping back as a, like a left wingback and scoring goals and being one of the best attackers. It just, I think it will happen for them. I think he's a really smart manager. Um, but I'm just curious to see where they invest going forward. They have a bit of an aging squad. There's a lot of guys that are probably going to be on their way out of there. I um, mean, they're still tar- starting Tiago Silva, who's been good, but they're still starting him. He's like 38. They were playing Cesar Aspilicueta now that Reese James is hurt. Aubameyang is washed at this point. And you got guys like Conte who can't stay healthy, Jorginho, Kovacic in the midfield who are all past their prime. So I think they need to inject a lot of youth into that squad. That's one thing that Chelsea should be more equipped to do than probably any other club with their academy. Um, but it's interesting. I would have expected better results earlier. And I do think that if they are hovering around 10th, two months from now, there's going to be a lot of doubters for him. Uh, I think that he needs time, and they got to at least give him the summer um, to, to really revamp the squad a bit. But I wouldn't press the panic button on them yet. But at this point, I mean, they're really not looking like a team that is going to be challenged for top four. So when you're at a club like Chelsea, that's pretty much the minimum expectation. Uh, this year might be a little bit of an exception, but they're going to have to kick on soon enough. Yeah, I, and I agree. I think, you know, of course it's Chelsea, right? So their fans are going to want to win in the short term. And and you get a new uh, owner in, they're going to be antsy for results to an extent, right? He's They got a vision. They want to build this this club. But you just bought Chelsea. You didn't buy them to finish 10th, right? They're, like It's an American owner. They're going to be extremely competitive. And they're going to want to be imposing their will as early as possible. So I think you're, you have a little bit of antsiness as, with the new owner as well, where it's, hey, we'll spend, but we got to start seeing results on the pitch because I'm investing this. I want things to go. like It's hard to be patient when you get a new toy like that if you're like a rich guy like that, right? You want to start being competitive as soon as possible. Yeah, which, which uh, again, I just think, I don't know. It's very interesting to see. I think it's going to be super interesting to see what they do in the next few years 
just as a club, it just they're taking a different, a slightly different approach, right? Like these, these the United owners are on the way out. Arsenal have this kind of operating at not quite the budget levels that a city is and or Liverpool is. I think it's and if they want to go with this approach of kind of like, you know, uh, this economic approach um, that that you know, like a Brighton or a Brentford do, which is sort of the vibe I get from Bowie's appointments and, and sort of the infrastructure that they're building out. They want to have like a very data-driven and, and um, re- you know, recruitment method. It's very interesting to watch teams try and do that at the top of the game, yeah. right? Because it's e- sort of easy where when you're a Brighton or a Brentford to sort of like buy Kairou Matoma if you're Brighton for two million pounds and now he's valued at like 25 or 30, right? It's easy to get in low when you're kind of a, a, a mid- Off the radar. To, you know, yeah, you're a mid to lower half of the table fodder, right? Because you have enough money where you can throw two million at a player. That's not enough where like you're worried about it. Um, and if it has great payouts, awesome, right? Yeah. Um, but but if you're if you're a Chelsea, you you don't want to go and spend two million on the Matomas because you you don't want to you you want to buy players at a really high level when they're coming into the club already. Yep. Right. Um, and so those players aren't going to be priced at two million pounds in the market. And so then you see kind of the opposite end of the market, which I think like, you know, Chelsea gets stuck into, Liverpool gets stuck into, United gets stuck into, City gets stuck into, where like Darwin Nunez costs you 70 million pounds, right? Um, because he's that same player. He's young. He's, you know, he's got a high potential, high ceiling. But then when you're at Liverpool and you're going after that player, you know, you he's coming in at a higher level, therefore worth more, and they know that you're Liverpool, so therefore he's also worth more. Um, and so it, it'll be interesting to see how they how they operate, like how a team at the top end of the table needing to bring in talent that is good straight away, kind of creates that economic approach. You know, you can't really buy players for like seven, 50 to seventy and then sell them for you know. 90 to 150 because there's just not a market above you right here yep. at the top of the pyramid yeah so. and i think the last thing i'll say on chelsea that is going to be fascinating to watch is it's just such a change of pace from where they've been at under abramovich as the, as the owner where we're talking about how we think potter will have time we think they want him as like a long-term figure there and that's just never been the case for any chelsea manager you know under abramovich it was always a, a one to two year fix and then a falling out and then a new high profile guy comes in and it's a year or two and then another new high you know what i mean i think they tried maybe with lampard for a minute to say hey this guy could be here long term and that didn't work so it, it's just such a, a 180 from where they've been at that i i mean as a chelsea supporter you'd probably have to like that change so hopefully they'll as uh as like a fandom give him a little bit more patience too but um I guess last thing I kind of wanted to get into was just you mentioned it a little bit at the top, but um, where we're at with the bottom of the table and some of these teams that are going to be fighting uh, to stay up. And it's very interesting because I think when we were talking early on this season, uh, you looked at Fulham, Forest, and Bournemouth. I would have thought, you know, two of those teams are probably going down. Bournemouth, I, w- I didn't really give much hope for. Forest, they bought everybody they could find um, and neither of them are safe by any means but right now you look at the bottom three it's Southampton Wolves Everton and then West Ham sitting just outside there on goal differential and I guess I wanted to kind of get your opinion on whether you think uh, West Ham Everton Wolves like out of those three teams are, are any of them down in your eyes or do you think they're going down because I think at this point Southampton are probably the the obvious team to say that they just aren't cut out for it with the squad they have. They're 20th right now. They haven't really shown much sign of of life. But what about like the West Ham Everton Wolves group where those are three three teams Everton and Everton was, you know, had they been struggling, they almost got relegated last year, but West Ham and Wolves had been pretty stable and West Ham coming off such a good season last year. Do you think those teams are gonna stay up or or where do you see things going with with those clubs? Yeah, I think West Ham and Everton I, remind me a lot of Aston Villa when they first went down. Mm-hmm. What was that? You know, like eight, seven, eight years ago, right? Yep. Where it's like manager to manager, style of football was getting worse, product on the field was getting worse. Sure, they can scrap together a couple come from behind wins and, you know, do two banks of four and, you know, grit out a couple wins. It's kind of where Everton's at, right? Um, same with. I don't want to say same with West Ham, but West Ham's quickly kind of getting that way with the way um, the the David Moyes team plays, um, and and so I think who goes down? I think Southampton goes down. Uh, they haven't gotten a 
uh, win yet um, under their new manager. Um, and so I think they go down, and, and they just don't have enough Premier League caliber players in that team. A lot of youth, and you know they're just they're just going to go down. Uh, and then I think Bournemouth and Forest do get sucked down um, with uh, with Southampton. Um, I know they're chilling above the relegation zone. All three of those teams, by the way, have the worst goal differential in the league. Um, so Forest and Bournemouth and Southampton, and I think you'll see Wolves with uh, uh, Lopetegui. I think you know they looked pretty decent in the first half to, against Villa today. Um, I think they'll be fine. There's enough quality in that squad with the likes of Ruben Neves, Jose Son, goal. I think they'll be fine. Everton, I think it's going to be close, just like it was last season. But I think they'll, you know, you saw the size of the club last year. How you know the games? Every game at home was like a World Cup final, and I think you'll see a lot of that with Everton, West Ham. Um, and even Leeds, where it's just scrappy, and they do have a decent caliber, enough decent caliber, uh, you know, quality players at the team where they can get a few results. And, and so I think Bournemouth, Forest, and Southampton will go down. I I tend to agree with you, so I don't have a, a whole lot to add there. But I'll ask one more question before we move on. Who, because I think it's probably coming from this group, but who would you say is the next manager sacked right now? Yeah, uh, I think. Probably uh, manager at Bournemouth. What's the caretaker's name? Um, Is it Gary O'Neill? Been there now. Gary O'Neill. Thank you. Uh, I think Gary O'Neill gets sacked. Um, partially because I think Bournemouth will you know lose a few games um, and that'll put pressure on him. On top of that, they you know were just bought um, by an American ownership group, um, and so they're going to want to kind of stamp their authority on the team and bring in a manager that they like, um, and uh, and so I think. Bournemouth will go. Uh, uh, Gary O'Neill will be the, the next one sacked. Michael, I think Michael B. Jordan is going to give him the sack. You think he'll be the one that yeah, sacks him? Exactly. He's going to come in and do that. <laughs> and I think, you know, I think, I think Frank Lampard is very close to that. Um, but I just think if you're Everton, it's not a managerial issue. I just think it's that same, you know, the inverse of the Brighton-Brentford top-to-bottom infrastructure that I was talking about earlier. Right, their recruitment's been really poor, um, and I think I think it's Lampard. I, I think I, I think Moyes is very much in danger right now. But they've he's proven that he can get them to a really high level with what he did last year, and Lampard didn't do that. I mean, they survived, but it was ugly. They barely got out of there, and he was on the hot seat every week. And it's just been such a long uh, run of him being under pressure now that I just don't see him surviving because Everton are going to be desperate. They are a club that has never been relegated. They they are going to do whatever it takes to stay up. And I just don't think, I don't necessarily think it's entirely his fault because I agree, I don't think their squad is really up to snuff. But I also don't think it's a bottom three squad in the league. And I think they bring in someone new and they will stay up. I, I don't expect them to go down, but I don't think Frank makes it through January at this point. So I, he'd be my pick, but... Um, I think West Ham could turn it around. Uh, it's going to be a little bit tough for them. Um, you know, they, they are a team that was playing European football. They haven't really gotten much out of any of their signings so far. I know Lucas Piquet just scored a, a penalty today, but um, Declan Rice is just constantly rumored with bigger clubs. Uh, I, I don't know. West Ham are in a very, very weird spot right now. I just think that they're going to be a little bit more patient than I would expect Everton to be, where Everton, one or two more bad results, and I think they'll pull the trigger on that. But um, I guess we could get into trivia here before we wrap up, unless you have any other last things you want to go over or talk about. No, let's go. We haven't done trivia in ages. Okay. This is going to be a pretty straightforward one. It's not rocket science. Um, But I think it'll be a good test because there are some surprises on here, people I wouldn't have expected. So this is going to be really simple. Um, kind of just test how up-to-date you are on the Prem this season. So I'm going to give you 60 seconds. I do not expect you to get all these names. So we're going to go... I don't want to give you too much time because I, I don't trust you that much and we're not in the same room. Um, how many players in the Premier League do you think have five-plus assists so far this season? Just give me a guess on that. How many players have five-plus assists? Yes. Uh, three. 10. So I'm going to have you Jeez. name as many as possible in the next 60 seconds. And we're going to start in five, four, three, two, 
One, go. Martin Odegaard. Yes, correct. Kevin De Bru- Kevin De Bruyne. Correct, the leader. Uh, Phil Foden. No. Uh, Jack Grealish. Nope. Um, Bruno Gumaish. No. Um, Bukayo Saka. Yes. Uh, Gabriel Martinelli. No. Um, Gabriel Jesus. Yes, that's four out of four out of ten. Um, uh, Bruno Fernandez. No. Twenty seconds left. Uh, Harry Harry Kane. No, he's got four. Um, Mo Salah. Nope. Um, the other ones are wow. kind of tough. Brian Mbomo. No. Um. Three, two, no. One. Hold on. Oof. All right. Time's uh, up. You got four. If you want to give another guess or two, that's fine. But you got four. Yeah, that's poor, mate. Um, it's tricky. There's a lot of guys on five. There's three guys with more than five. You named two of them. I only named two. Is there another one at Man City? Nope. Oh, uh, there's one more at Man City. What? But it, I wouldn't have guessed him. <laughs> Is it Gundogan? No. So I'll... I'll uh, Rod- Rodri. Rodri. Nope, 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 nope. It's a midfielder, but... What? Bernardo Silva has five. Wouldn't Bernardo have expected that. Bernardo Silva. What yep. a guy. So that's the other guy at City. There's uh, one from Liverpool. I think. believe you only one got Salah from them. Yeah, I did. Um, Trent? No. Robbo? Yep. Robertson's got five. So, all right. So there's three Arsenal players. You got all of them. Saka, Jesus, and Odegaard. Um, Saka's got six. The other two have five. De Bruyne's at the top with nine. You're, you missed the other guy with six. Man City. Or not, excuse me, Man United. Bruno- Man United? It- Christian Eriksen. Christian Eriksen with six. And then the other ones were tough. Um, there's two from Spurs. And one from Everton. I don't think you'll get the Everton one. I would have never guessed it. Everton? Yeah. Alex Awobi? Yeah. Alex Awobi has five assists. He's he's having a good season. To I know. Fair. He actually has been pretty um, good, but I would have not guessed him. And then there's two from Spurs. And then who? Two from Spurs? Harry Kane has um, four. He got his fourth assist today. Wow. That, that's strange. Perisic? Yep. And... Son? No. Um, Hoiberg. No, it's it's Kulisevsky, which I was surprised by because I feel like he has been hurt a lot of this season and hasn't really played that consistently. But that's, he's got five yeah, assists. that's wild. Yeah. So all all of those guys, funny enough, with the World Cup just be, passing, all of them are different nationalities as well, all ten, which is kind of wild. Wow. Um, but I thought that was a good list because there are the obvious names. How much time? How much? How much time did you give me? I give you 60 seconds. I was hoping you'd get six. I oh. thought six would have been very good. That was the fastest 60 seconds of my life. I know. I probably could have given you a 90, but I don't think you would have gotten any more. Maybe Erickson. Maybe Erickson. Yeah, I should have gotten Erickson. But, like, you... but I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would never have guessed it will be, you know. I no, I know. Guessed. You didn't actually even guess that many never... guys that had four. Um, you guessed uh, Mo Salah has four. Harry Kane has four. And that's it. The other guys that were close um, at four, we have Vardy, Trippier, Kenny Tete, Marcus Tavernier. Pereira. Uh, Andreas Pereira, yep. Jack Harrison, yep. Mateus Jensen, James Madison, Michael Mal- Elise, all with four. A lot of set-piece set piece specialists. Yeah, it's a, it's a simple trivia, but I figured that was it was tricky enough that it made things interesting. And it's, it's a good uh, gauge because, you know, Marcus Tavernier almost made that list. <laughs> Kenny Tede right, made that right. list, so it was interesting. Right, right. But uh, good, good job. Four is not terrible. I was, I was thinking six was kind of the benchmark. Where if you would have gotten that, I would have been pretty impressed. So not too far off. Now, Dang. now you got to. Right, well, trivia is back. I got to. Yeah, next episode you got to you got to stump me now. Trivia. You got to stump me next yeah, next yeah. time, so that way uh, you can get back at me. But uh, well done, good sport. So I don't really have anything else though. I mean, this, this has been. This has been good. Good chat. No, I, yeah, I was going to say that, that it's great to have the Prem back. The World Cup was an absolute spectacle, um, and I was, I was kind of a, a bit turned off after the England game, if I'm honest. But 
Um, the Premier League's just, since Boxing Day, the flurry of games have been great. Um, fan, it's been tough for both Chris and I fantasy-wise, but um, I think for everyone listening, it's just it's good to be back here recording. Um, we'll try to get these obviously out more regularly. I say that tongue-in-cheek because I know we've said that before. Um, and, <laughs> We're busy people, kind uh, of. Yeah, and 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 no, I, I hope everyone has a great time in 2023 watching the Premier League and um, you know following some of the storylines that we covered. Um, you know, if you've got, you think Arsenal can pull it off, like I do, um, then jump on board. Yeah, you know? no, good pod. Thanks for listening. If you made it this far, and uh, hopefully we'll be back soon with some more analysis. We got a little bit of a break after tomorrow's match uh, with some FA Cup fixtures, but they're going to be coming hot and heavy over the next few months. So I'm sure we'll have plenty to discuss. All right. As always, Chris, just goes to show. Everybody's human. Thanks, guys.